You're listening to the Auburn Express. What's up in War Eagle War Report family? It's your guy Ike Jones. We're here with another morning drop. Today, we are going to discuss Auburn and their third down woes. I think this is a big problem that we have with our offense. So let's talk about it. Y'all know how we do right here, War Report style. Let's drop it on. Now listening to the Wall Report. Morning drop. We are here Monday morning. It is September the 25th. You got Ike Jones rolling solo this morning on the morning drop, talking a little bit about first and second down and how that has impacted the Auburn offense and their inability to compete to keep drives going, particularly in the Power Five game. So not going to talk about Sanford, not going to talk about UMass. We're going to talk about the P5 competition and how Auburn's offense can get a little better on first and second down. If you are over on in the podcast land listening to this, then go ahead and give us that five-star review. Let the people who get an opportunity to hear us on podcasts know that you enjoy the content that we're putting that putting out. That definitely helps us a lot over there as well. But let's get over into the conversation. Uh, Today is Metrics Monday, and we like to look at some sort of number that helps to quantify what's happening, whether that's good or bad. And today I want to focus on third down for Auburn. And uh, really what I'm I'm saying is we need to be better on first and second down, and we've got to be able to stop having third down penalties. I looked at the numbers, and uh, just right now, again, only looking at the P5 games, I don't want to talk about Sanford, don't want to talk about UMass. We know the offense moved pretty much at will during those games, even though we didn't score early. And there's a whole other conversation that needs to be had about what we're doing in first quarter scoring, which has been abysmal, honestly, even including that Sanford game which we didn't score any points in that game, didn't score any points first quarter versus Texas A&M. Um, if I'm not mistaken, didn't score first quarter versus Cal, right? So there is a symptom of slow starts offensively, particularly in getting the ball into the end zone. But let's talk a little bit about what's happening on third down right now. And I want to dive into the numbers a little bit just so you can see what I'm talking about. So uh, during this previous game at Texas A&M, three of 15 on third downs, which is terrible. Right. Uh, In the Cal game, four of 12, not much better. We had four penalties on third down during the Texas A&M, two penalties penalized twice on third down during that Cal game. But here is the big number that I want to get to the average yards needed to get a first down on third down for Auburn. 12.67 yards per third down attempt. That's including the penalty yardage. So in order to convert, Auburn on average was having to convert 12.6 yards. So almost 13 yards per third down during the Texas A&M game. Now, a little bit better during the Cal game at 6.81, but that's still too high a number. You want to be five or less in your third down attempts and So a combined during the two power five games thus far, Auburn is averaging third down yardage of 10.2 yards. It's not going to get it done. It's not going to get it done, especially in an offense that has been struggling to find an ability to pass the ball downfield without a vertical passing game. If your average yards needed to get a third down is going to be 10.2 
you're not putting yourself in a position where you're going to be optimal on offense. There aren't very many offenses around the country that are going to be able to survive with an average third down needed of 10 yards. You need the equivalent of a first down on third down because you've done so poorly on first and second down in those scenarios where you're getting to a third down. Now we're getting first downs uh, on first and second down sometimes, right? So we're doing fairly well at moving the ball. Honestly, though, we only had 200 yards of total offense in the Cal game. A lot of that was uh, a symptom of this third down issue. When we were able to move the ball, we did it really well, but that usually came on chunk plays in first and second down. Once the offense stalls and you get into a place where you need to pick up third downs, averaging 10 yards per is not a place that you want to be able to get into. So let's talk about first and second down for Auburn. And herein lies the biggest problem for me. It's the unimaginative way in which we approach games specifically early uh, that allow or are putting us in a hole. And I didn't get into the numbers just yet on kind of what we're doing run versus pass uh, versus length of the pass and all that sort of thing. I did see a statistic. I believe Justin Ferguson was talking about this, particularly in the Texas A&M game about how uh, the average distance that Auburn actually threw passes that were completed or, or something like that. I don't want to misquote his statistic, but he was saying that it wasn't even a full yard, right? Like we had a lot of behind the, the line of scrimmage uh, passes and things of that nature. We're not pushing the ball downfield. Mike G put out a, um, a graphic recently talking. And it was mostly on Peyton Thorne because he had the, the vast majority of the throws uh, during that Texas A&M game. And most of the completed throws were to the right side and five yards or less in this game. So not doing a good job on first and second down, taking advantage of the fact that the short passing game is honestly there. It's available. We'll get into the film and talk about this a little bit more. Um, for those of you who are members of the channel, uh, we're going to get into the film review and we'll talk about the opportunities that were missed there in the passing game. But a lot of this, in my opinion, goes back to the scheme that we're attempting to utilize that's not optimal for what I think the strength of this team is, which is getting guys out in space and letting them do work. When we get opportunities for guys to get out in space, and the run game has been fairly good, uh, so when you look at you know the average yards per carry for the running backs, you're getting close to five yards per carry when you hand it to a running back. That's going to be good in most games, regardless of how much people are stacking the box. Our running backs, when they're getting their opportunities, are getting positive yardage for the most part. Again, averaging fairly well. So not leaning on the run game enough and the short passing game just hasn't been there. If we're, if we're not going to hold up against the pass rush, which I think we've done decently against the pass rush, I don't want to act as if our offensive line has done a terrible job. Now, we did give up seven sacks during Texas A&M game, but a lot of that, in my opinion, again, this is just my opinion. You can go look at the film and, and tell me what you see and run your own uh, analysis and let your eyes tell you what you see. When I look at the film, I'm seeing an availability of quick passes that we're turning down for whatever reason. I see an availability of opportunities to go to checks to something that's going to be, you know, a now route, a quick bubble screen, something like that, that we're absolutely not doing. And that will help you not get sacked so often. You get the ball out of the hands of the quarterback a little bit more quickly and more proficiently, get the ball in space to your playmakers and let them go out there and take uh, the opportunities to go get those yards. I think that Auburn has done a disservice thus far this season, particularly in the Power 5 games, of allowing playmakers to make plays in space without having it be routes that have developed for a long time or 
just not throwing, and I've talked about this multiple times, throwing with anticipation into windows. And listen, if you're the QB and you know where the guy is supposed to be, throw it there. And I understand that that may result in a bad thing, but the offense is predicated on timing and anticipation for it to work properly. If the wide receiver's wrong, let him be wrong. And I get that the average person looking at that is going to say that's a terrible throw by the quarterback. You can't live your life as a quarterback worried about people who don't understand what's supposed to be happening, telling you what should be happening in the game. And that includes me. If I'm completely wrong, ignore everything I'm saying. Who cares what Ike Jones at the War Report thinks about what the – everything I've said thus far, though the numbers hold it up, hold up to it, could be completely wrong, and it doesn't abide by what you know you're supposed to be as a quarterback. Do that, Right. I just don't think that you can live in a world where three, three of 15, four of 12 is going to work, especially when the average yardage is 10.2. If, if, if that's the plan, then I think that we need to redo the plan. So I'm, I'm thinking the plan is flawed when you look at what we're doing on first and second down, especially considering how we've started the script of these games in which we've shown a commitment to wanting to run the ball and have the quarterback involved in that run process. Again, I don't think that Peyton Thorne lacks athleticism. I don't think that his game is a runner, regardless of whether or not he was tabbed as a dual threat coming quarterback coming out of high school, or he can, you know, whatever his 40 time is. I don't know any of that stuff. What I do know is that he hasn't shown the ability to be a supreme athlete from the quarterback position. And when you don't have a next level athlete playing quarterback, it doesn't behoove you to involve that quarterback in the run game consistently. It should be kind of a, if it's there, take the opportunities, but not a part of the plan. Again, this is my opinion. I could be completely wrong. I don't think the numbers say that I'm wrong. I don't think that the, um, the products on the field says that I'm wrong. But if people have disagreeing opinions with that, I welcome to hear those disagreeing opinions. I will never tell somebody that uh, your opinion is wrong, even if we differ, as long as you come with the facts. Anyway, um, I don't want to rant on that too long. We are going to watch the film and we're going to tell us what we're going to. I'm going to tell you what I think the film says. And we'll look at that a little bit more in depth. So, again, members, make sure that you get your notification bells on so we can get that going. Uh, as always, we appreciate all of you all for dropping in with us today. This is going to be particularly, and let me just say this one more thing before we transition over into the comments. This is going to be particularly necessary as we get into deeper into conference play against the teams that I feel like are a little bit better defensively than Texas A&M. No disrespect to Texas A&M. I think that they are a decent team. They definitely have a lot of good athletes. I don't think that they are an elite defense. I think that they're a good defense. Um, but we had our opportunities. Those opportunities that were there against Texas A&M might not be there against Georgia. Georgia is an elite defense. In my opinion, LSU has the potential to be an elite defense, and they've done really well for the most part. You're going to have to be a little bit better about how you're being on first and second down against a team like Georgia, who – let's just pull the statistics up on this. I, I pulled this up earlier today – is only allowing 26% third down conversion right now as a defense, right? So you're not going to be in a better scenario this week coming up unless you can get into third and more manageable. You're not going to be able to live in 
third and 12 like you were against Texas A&M or third and 10 on average as you have in the two P5 contests that you've had so far this season and expect to be able to move the ball and score against Georgia. That's just not going to be a real thing. So definitely have to clean up penalties on third down. We had four of those in this last game, two of them in the Cal game. Absolutely need to get better on first and second down to get you into a third and manageable scenario. Wool Report family, you are listening to The Morning Drop, where we talk about the most recent and relevant Auburn sports news. We broadcast live from the Wool Report's YouTube channel on Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, and Friday mornings at 10 a.m. Eastern, 9 Central Time. You're welcome to come watch it live, but the live chat is reserved for our YouTube channel members only. So come on by, become a member, and get active in the best Auburn sports community on the webs. We'll be right back after we pay a couple bills. Thanks for sticking around through the ad break. Now here's the rest of your morning drop. We are going to get over into the comments section and hear what you all are talking about today. I appreciate everybody dropping in with me this morning. Let's see what the comments are talking about. There's quite a few of them, and I'm running this solo this morning, which means I have not really even looked to see what you all have been saying. So bear with me as I scroll through this, trying to find some gems to unearth. I see a lot of green name gang in here this morning. I appreciate you guys for dropping in with us. Started off with JBSMV, who says them not doing hitches and quick outs on the first and second downs is something I just don't understand. Surprised we haven't seen it with the Montgomery eating off of that at Baylor. Let me tell you something. There's quite a few of those on first and second down that we just absolutely have not been throwing. So uh, be sure to tune into the uh, the review as we get into that. But there are. The, uh, so the the first and second plays of the game, we have not been doing that for whatever reason. But first and second down, we absolutely have. And uh, we've got to do a much better job of getting to those reads a little bit more quickly. He also says that Jay Fair being in motion almost every play but not getting a jet sweep pissed him off. Listen, I, I was surprised we did not see a jet sweep or the big uh, – bubble screen that we ran quite a few times, particularly we were running that, <clears throat> excuse me, with Jeremiah Cobb. We didn't see that a single time during this game. And I was surprised by not seeing that. We didn't see uh, the quick hitter to the running back out of the backfield other than the um, the motion that we had where the running back would leak out. But I'm just talking about the, it almost looks like a, a check down to the running back over to the side. Didn't see that during this game. There were a lot of things that, I was surprised we did not see during this game. So uh, the Walker show says, I wonder if Peyton would be a good coach. I actually was talking about this with somebody and I think he probably would be a really good coach. I think that his, his football knowledge is there. He understands a lot of things when it comes to the game of football. Uh, but that doesn't mean that you're going to be a great player just because you have all of the knowledge. Listen, I know a lot about a lot of stuff, but that doesn't mean I can go out there and do any of it. Um, you know, I know a ton about, again, just a lot of different things just because I, I read a lot, and, and but I, I would never be a good quarterback ever. So uh, B-Will's forehead says the ability of the coaching staff to not use fair weather more than what they have blows my mind. Not that Peyton Thorne would throw it uh, close to him that game, but still um, the, the lack of use of a dynamic athlete like him is very interesting to say the least. I think there are certain players that you just need to scheme a play to say, we're going to get it to them 
in this scenario. And and that answer should not be a third and 25 tight end screen, a throwback screen. Like, I don't think that that's the correct answer, right? Um, there are other ways that you can involve your tight end in the pass game, especially if you are adept at creating mismatches that should work against most linebackers in the country who are not really great in coverage um, or get a matchup against a safety who's not going to be as good in coverage and not going to have the size to be able to stick with him. There are opportunities that exist there. And again, I'm not talking about changing your offense. I'm just talking about using stuff that exists in your offense. The same route that they tried to hit to, to Tyler from, or excuse me, to Brandon Frazier is an example of a good tight end route to be able to get your tight end involved in the offense. That should be an easy throw for your quarterback to be able to get. It was wide open, right? We need to see more things like that, that, stress the defense's ability to stay assignment sound. If we're going to run the ball in one direction, we're going to have the RPO slipping the tight end who's normally coming and blocking on someone at the end, little fake block and then release. Those are things that are available already to you. I'm not talking about reinventing your offense. I'm just saying using things that should be there already more often or more proficiently. So hopefully we'll see a little bit of that. Uh, Corey Weber jumps in. If we'd stop holding and overthrowing open receivers, we'd be awesome. There's a lot of truth to this. Uh, even though I did, I've said this multiple times in this game in particular, I think a couple of the holding calls were a little bogus. Uh, but, you know, not shooting yourself in the foot when you're already not. I mean, listen, if, if you're slow already, shooting yourself in the foot is not going to help you win a race. Right. So. We got to do better at not having self-inflicted wounds when we're already uh, at a deficit when we're trying to go out there and win football games. John Brannon advocating for a change at quarterback, thinking a combo of Holden and Robbie can make something happen. I've seen quite a few, few uh, quite a few people advocating for the Holden starting QB. Robbie special package QB combination to replace the Peyton Thorne starting QB, Robbie special package QB. Uh, so uh, there's a lot of people who are in this mindset that think that this is the direction that Auburn needs to go. I don't know if we will go in that direction. All I know is that, again, I have not been an advocate for benching a quarterback. I've been an advocate of the quarterback playing better. And the opportunities exist there. And and I don't know what Peyton Thorne's capability is overall and if he's going to be able to settle down and get himself into a place where he's ready to be in command of an offense in the SEC. I have no, no way of projecting into the future. I can say thus far he has not shown it since he's been at Auburn that he's ready for that opportunity. Um, but maybe there's some other way that we can get him settled. Uh, but he has not looked settled thus far. And that presents a problem as you get into the meat of what I feel like are the better defenses on your schedule. Um, and I think, again, statistics bear out that these are the better defenses on your schedule. Not disrespecting Cal, not disrespecting Texas A&M. Take nothing away from those uh, young men that are out there playing who did an admirable job against Auburn in both of those games. But I think the level of the defensive competition only gets more difficult as we go along into this. James Barnett says, I'm driving so I can only listen, but fellas, is it Robbie time? <clears throat> I don't know the answer to this one. Um, it depends on how you intend to use Robbie. Here's what I will say to all the people who think that we cape for Robbie too much. Um, if you're going to run an offense that includes the QB run and you're not going to try to be, and you're not going to try to incorporate the, the quick, efficient, short passing game, why not play Robbie? I, I mean, seriously, are we throwing the ball enough 
and trying to use an effective short passing game that requires you to be super efficient and all this sort of thing that Robbie doesn't make sense for what we've attempted to do with the quarterback thus far. If you don't feel like Robbie is a great passer, show me where our offense thus far strategically is requiring a quarterback to be a great passer. You're requiring your quarterback to get the ball out of his hands quickly, which Peyton Thorne has not done. You're requiring your quarterback to run a lot, which Robbie is proficient at doing. Tell me why that doesn't make sense. This is, again, I know you're going to hear me say this, and everybody who thinks that we cape for Robbie is hearing me say, you should start Robbie. No, I'm saying you should either change how you're going to use the quarterback or use a quarterback that's actually good at the things you're asking your quarterback to do. Those two things I don't think are arguable based upon what we've actually done and what we've actually seen. If you'd like to argue otherwise, then I don't know what you're using as the basis for that argument. So. Michael Carlisle says it's hard to evaluate a scheme or a game plan without a functional QB. I mean, it's actually not difficult to evaluate the scheme and the game plan without a functional QB. It's difficult when you don't have a functional offensive line that won't allow you to run this stuff. But I can see what they're attempting to do from a scheme standpoint with how the wide receiver routes are being run. I can look at where the first read is for the quarterback when he comes back out from under center. I can see which direction he's looking. That tells me what he saw pre-snap that determines, okay, I'm going to work this portion of what we've got going on. You can evaluate a lot of things without the quarterback being great. You can say, ah, man, those opportunities were there. We just missed them. Now, how good your offensive potential can be without that quarterback, you absolutely can. Um, So there are things that can be evaluated even without things working to perfection. So uh, hopefully we'll get into a, a a better position coming up soon with how we're deploying a strategy for the quarterback that's in there. Or, again, you make a change at the quarterback. Um, but I don't think that you can do what you've been doing and expect success from uh, our offense. In, in no way is that, do I feel like those things are together. Uh, Dustin Pace says it it just feels like Auburn just it feels like Auburn just defies logic. No matter what we do, it just doesn't make sense. The change starts with putting Robbie and Holden at first at the one and two. I don't care about Thorne's NIL. Most talented needs to play. I have no idea what Peyton Thorne was offered in NIL to to be here as a starting quarterback at Auburn. Um, But what I do know is that if you're making decisions about who plays based upon what their NIL contract is, then that's not the way that NIL is supposed to work. Um, His name, image, and likeness isn't going to be worth very much if he's not doing very well at quarterback. So you're actually hurting his value just as much by having him go out there and perform poorly as you are by maintaining him as a starting quarterback. And that's, that's not helpful if he doesn't go out there and play well. Your value diminishes significantly with poor play or just as much as it would be sitting on the bench, right? Like you're like, it goes from people saying, where is Peyton Thorne? I want to see him to, oh, my God, who is this guy? Get him off the field. And those two things are valued very differently. You hear the the statement often that the most popular person on the team is the backup quarterback. Listen, man, you can preserve a lot of value by being the guy that everybody wishes they could see while watching a guy play poorly. I don't think that you're helping this young man at all by continuing to put him in scenarios that don't optimize his ability to do the things that I think that he's best at, um, or at least he has been better at in the past. I don't know that he's shown a proficiency to do a ton um, this far at Auburn, but I think he's not been helped out a lot by the game plan. A couple, I'm going to try to get a couple more in here before we get out of here. Uh, Let's see. 
uh, Corey Weber says we needed hooks to come down with that from Robbie. We definitely did. I mean, it, by no means was it a perfect pass from Robbie, but it was a pass that you would expect a, a, a quarterback, excuse me, a wide receiver at this level to make that play, especially one as talented as Shane Hooks. Shane Hooks is an athletic, very rangy you know, we hear Coach Hugh Freeze talk about catch radius all the time. and what the, Shane Hooks has a great catch radius. So putting the ball in that scenario, that should be a touchdown. Like nine times out of ten in that scenario with that caliber of wide receiver, that's a touchdown. Um, so you want to be able to, to like, uh, throw that Peyton Thorne hit to Camden Brown. Wouldn't have been a first down because of where the route was, but that should be a catch, right? At this level, you expect receivers to make that catch. So... Um, you know, the one to, to Javarius Johnson, like at this level, you just expect guys to make those catches. Wasn't a perfect throw by any means. It was a good throw. Wasn't a perfect throw by any means from Robbie. But you expect your receivers to go out and make a catch for you like that in those types of scenarios. So um, we've got to help our quarterbacks out a little bit more with how we're making plays when we have those opportunities. If you're not going to get very many of them, and you heard guys like um, Devin Aromashidu and Ben Obamamanu come, come on our show and talk about how they just didn't get a lot of opportunities when they were at Auburn because we were such a run-heavy team. But when you get those shots, you got to come down with it because that is how you continue to stress defense, defenses in a different way. Uh, so, yeah, we've got to get better in some of those aspects as well. Miller House says, I'm confused as to how Caddy beat Texas A&M last year with less of a roster than we had on Saturday. I think, you know, the answer is not simple. I mean, listen, it was a very ugly game. Auburn turned the ball over like two times on the same drive and was lucky that Shed got his hand out of bounds when he reached and touched the first fumble that we got. Um, we had another fumble that they didn't review fast enough. We went tempo and snapped it the next time, right? Like Auburn... It was windy that day, so a lot of the passes that Texas A&M was attempting were just not able to get where they were intended to go. There was a lot of factors that went into Auburn being able to win that game, plus the emotional factor of it being his first home game as the um, the interim head coach. Uh, so it was it didn't have very much to do with X's and O's in that game. That was more a team wanting to go out and get a W for their coach that had been through a really tough season, and Texas A&M just kind of working work, walking into a buzzsaw of an environment. Um, what I will say is that Auburn had plenty of opportunities to make this a more interesting game. Again, going back to that Shane Hooks catch, it was 20 to 10 at that point in time. You get a touchdown, it's 20 to 17, right? And that ball was in the end zone available for that receiver to come down with that catch. It's 2017 with plenty of time left to be able to make this a game at that point in time because we had just gotten the defensive touchdown. So, Again, Auburn had its opportunities in this game, just didn't take advantage of them. And you've got to be able to come. I mean, and it doesn't help, you know, as much as good as the defense plays that you come in with your backup quarterback and he throws two touchdowns, you know, in, in the third quarter for them. Right. So you just got to do a better job of taking advantage of the opportunities that are there. Texas A&M did it. Auburn did not. And that's the, the end of the, the story there. When, when two teams are as closely matched as I believe Texas A&M and Auburn to be, despite what people think about the talent gap, I'm talking about what their abilities are on the field and what they've displayed thus far during this season. When they're as close as those two teams are, you've got to, the, the small differences make a lot, right? Like, that contested catch in the end zone that Evan Stewart came down with between two Auburn defenders, that's the kind of quarterback and, and wide receiver play that you expect at the D1 level. 
I see my guy. I'm going to give him a shot down there. And he comes up with the catch in between two guys. That's what you expect to see at this level. Auburn just didn't have enough of that from either the quarterback or the wide receiver position when the opportunities presented themselves. That's enough. I don't I know y'all don't want to hear me talk a lot. And you guys are having a great conversation there in the chat. Um, but I am going to get out of here because I have to get ready for this film review. But I appreciate everybody for jumping in with me today. Auburn has some opportunities to go out there and make this a game. I want to see us do that. But we got to get better on first and second down. But we are out of here until the next morning drop. We'll be back at you all tomorrow morning. I appreciate you dropping in with me today. Until that next time. And as always, worry. Drop! Drop!